Husky Nation, and welcome to this week's episode of Dog Thoughts. I'm Kayla Olm with Sports Illustrated's Husky Maven channel, and with me, you probably know him, you've seen his face, you've heard his show, you might have even read a book that he co-wrote. With me is Yogi Roth with the Pac-12 Network. Yogi, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm well. I, uh, I'm from my car, but it's not because uh, I just necessarily want to be, but I, I got school pickup, so I appreciate you making it uh, work today, even though it's not the perfect circumstances for me. So thank you. No, I appreciate it for coming on. So kind of getting right into things because again, pickup is so important. Got to keep you out of trouble with the misses. But <laughs> with no Pac-12 to really cover for a while when it was so unknown, we weren't going to have a season. Did you enjoy your time kind of being a fan a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, the thing that I love about my job, and you probably do as yours, is well, we may not have games, there's always storylines. So for me, what's been really enjoyable this offseason is getting to know position coaches, coordinators, also listening to other broadcasters, and seeing schemes for other games. So every week, I'll nerd out, and instead of breaking down, obviously, a Pac-12 game doesn't exist, I'll watch Clemson-Miami, or Alabama and Ole Miss. Like, try to continue to educate myself within the craft, because I, I think if I just went to Bali and just hung out and surfed the whole time, probably wouldn't have been uh, for the benefit of, of the Pac-12 networks in the place that I like to call home. That's a great point. And kind of transitioning to the Clemson-Miami game, those were amazing games. It was the prime time of that Saturday with that Clemson-Miami game. And that was a 4.30 West Coast time, 7.30 East Coast time. You also had the FSU-Notre Dame, the Alabama Ole Miss. I didn't really hear any SEC complaints about those late game starts. Did you kind of get any word of that? No, I didn't. And you know what was interesting, Kayla, is I was on the East Coast watching all those games. So I got to feel like a Pac-12 fan on the East Coast. And what I wanted, which is what the Pac-12 always delivers, is competitive games. right? I felt like I was kind of watching Pac-12 after dark. You could argue even worse defenses in that Alabama Ole Miss game in terms of just the gashes that kept happening within the respective defenses but you saw a competitive game that you wanted to turn on late Florida State uh, Notre Dame clearly that wasn't the case Clemson proved that the number one team in the country right now uh, but yeah I think fans right now are it's probably the only time they'll be empathetic but they're empathetic to the craft and the game and saying hey I just want to watch football I can where my team plays so I think for Pac-12 fans whether it's at 9 a.m or 10 p.m they're going to be glued to the seven games that we get exactly especially when not every game does get to air you know, we don't get the SEC network channel. So watching those, I'm sure they kind of feel the same way when we have a little bit of a after dark on ESPN. But you mentioned, Yogi, those defenses and those kind of high scoring games. And do you see it as offenses maybe not being as prepared or kind of ahead of the defense due to COVID-19 or just because strictly SEC doesn't play defense as some people like to kind of say? <laughs> you know, it, it's been the biggest question mark to me, of the 2020 season, at any level. You talk to high school coaches, college coaches, and even the NFL, usually defenses are further ahead. I mean, that's just the nature of the craft. Dramatically different this year. I mean, you look at the scores, you look at some of the elite defenses we've seen, and I think it's, it's easy to say it was no spring ball. It's easy to say a bridge training camp. Uh, I think it comes down to two things. One is that within no spring ball and a bridge training camp, you couldn't do a lot of the nuts and bolts, which is tackling live games uh, in terms of real speed. You just couldn't create that a lot. We've seen that in the past in the Pac-12. You can go back to the first year that Lane Kiffin uh, was head coach at SC under sanctions. 
they didn't have the roster. They didn't have the personnel. So he was like, we can't tackle in practice. And their defense would get gashed. It's basically what happened all year. And the other one, I think, is that offenses are just – it's just changing. This game is changing before we know it. And I think high school football is five years ahead of college, and college is five years ahead of the NFL. Everybody's caught up. I saw it in 2009 in Texas when I saw high school football seven-on-seven seven taking off. And you saw what Oregon did with Marcus Mariota. And you saw what Pat Mahomes did with KC last year. I just think now the tools that offenses have, I just think that – they don't dramatically outweigh defenses, but man, they put defenses in binds and the players are so athletic and the quarterbacks are so dynamic that I don't see this necessarily slowing down. I like Yogi that you brought the fact on who's ahead of whom. And you can kind of point Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, they're in for 500 something yards. And that's kind of the standard. We're not surprised if, you know, say Jacob Eason did that last season or Justin Herbert, Oregon, all of us are, whoa, you know, 500 passing yards, that's insane. But that is kind of one of those standards. And you mentioned Lane Kiffin as well. So we saw Ole Miss with that up-tempo, Mississippi State and Mike Leach using that air raid that Mike Leach likes to use. And do you think that the SEC is kind of now beginning to understand what the defenses were going through with the Pac-12 and West Coast and those offenses that were so much more common for us? I think that's a, that's a really fun discussion. Uh, I say that because I look at, like, Utah last year, statistically one of the best defenses since the mid-'80s. Washington, historically, you know it. I see the jersey behind you, like the amount of defensive products they put out. Because Jimmy Lake's been there, and he can go back, obviously, 20, 30 years, a lot of talented players, uh, even further than that. But immediately, I think of the Pac-12 this year defensively is really underrated, and I think teams are going to see that. I don't anticipate games being – in the 60s and 50s, like we saw Ole Miss and Alabama this year. I think Oregon's defense, uh, obviously getting uh, one of the top corners back was huge. I think they got the best freshman linebacking duo in the country. They'll find their way to playing time. UW is going to be one of the better defenses in the Pac-12 North. SC, I think, might have the best defense in the entire conference. You look at their defensive tackles, backers, safeties, all NFL caliber players. So I, I, I think that the generalists would say, yep, SEC and ACC teams have kind of understand, maybe appreciate high-scoring offenses. I still think the thing out west that gets underappreciated and overhyped, underappreciated as defense, overhyped as quarterbacks. It just is. They expect everybody to be, whether it's Jacob Eason or Jake Locker, like guy who's right behind you there. Um, it's just not. It's not the case, and the defenses are really undervalued. But when you look at the NFL, the amount of defensive players playing there, you say to yourself, well, yeah, there's some defensive dudes that came out of the pack. It's not like the Big 12 which is just throwing it all over the yard. I mean, there's legitimate schemes, defensive coordinators becoming head coaches in college and or kicking off to the NFL. We've seen it from Rod Rivera to Justin Wilcox and up and down the line. Uh, that side of the ball, I think, will impress and probably surprise people this fall. I definitely want to come back to the quarterbacks from the Pac-12, Justin Herbert specifically. But to really wrap up almost this SEC conversation we're having is have they been exposed for once that conference cannibalism is why sec doesn't play that many conference games like the pac-12 does for example and they really love to pad their schedules with those weaker non-conference games and i mean we do that too sometimes i get it schedules are made many years in advance but then teams like oregon utah the huskies they get called cupcake schedules so has the SEC finally been exposed now that we're kind of seeing the SEC have to beat up on each other like the Pac-12 does every year? Yeah, I mean, narratives are a beautiful thing, right? And I think when we've seen the Big Ten and the Pac-12 not play 
or even when the SEC wasn't playing, you saw narratives starting to develop that maybe you didn't always hear or get doubled down upon, right? The Big 12 narrative was Oklahoma's a real team. And they are one of the top programs in the country. You can't take that away from them, what they've done in the past. But this year, you can't say that they're an automatic berth in the CFP based on them winning their conference. You just can't say it. I think when you look at the SEC, if you saw an ugly game or let's just say a high-scoring game or LSU losing to Missouri, uh, in the past, you might say, wow, SEC, man, it's so difficult. They just beat up on each other. They play such a – nasty style of defense even if it was an ugly game there was some beauty to it versus in the Pac-12 if you see a tight game like that let's say Cal UW is a great example uh, the criticism around the country when you see the scores man Pac-12 they got no offense or they're they, they played terrible I think now with the big Pac-12 not playing yet it's given the conference the ability to take a breath also obviously objectify and evaluate their own conference they're a fan of like the SEC and say well, uh, when we say we cannibalize each other, oftentimes we say right after that is the Pac-12 um, isn't, isn't as talented as us. Whereas now I think other conferences like the SEC are recognizing it's really hard when you got to play two, three straight conference games. It's really hard when you got to play teams that are like Georgia, uh, Alabama this weekend. It's going uh, it's, it's to be a challenging game for both those teams. They haven't played each other in a, in a conference game in a long time. So, yeah, I, I do think your point is well taken, and I hope the college football playoff committee uh, takes that into consideration as well if there is a 7-0 Pac-12 team. I loved that take that you just had on it because it is so true. And the history behind Alabama and Georgia is very interesting if we go back and look at that. Again, another conversation for another time. But I know we're kind of winding down on time for you, so a few more quick questions. I said I want to bring up Justin Herbert, and he got that start now with the Chargers after Tyrod Taylor, unfortunately, with that little incident. Uh, Ducks, that offense, having to rebuild a brand-new quarterback in a system. They do have a quarterback who kind of sat behind him, but are you putting the Ducks in the top 15? Yeah, oh, yeah, and I think they've gotten uh, – to me, I think it's – the biggest thing for me is the game. You can't disrespect the game. And I think when you rank teams that haven't played, that's not either the most respectful thing in the game or you have to take into consideration when you rank them. And I think a Big Ten and Pac-12 team shouldn't even be ranked in the AP right now because they haven't played a game, right? Oregon included. Because when you look at them objectively, you would say, oh, yeah, they're one of the top ten teams in the country, you know, in my opinion. I think they have a star, a absolute star in Tyler Shuck. I think he's going to be a household name by the end of the season. Knowing him since high school, uh, one of the more talented competitors I've been around, right? Everybody can throw the ball, but this guy is a competitor. That is, that is his unique trait. He's carried this team, whether it's been in the weight room or workouts, since he got there as a freshman, galvanizing the young players, and now it's his team. And I just believe that quarterbacks often think and fan bases think they should get thrown into the fire, like Ethan Garber should go play right now. If he wants the job, sure, but it's not going to be a smooth path for him versus if you sit and bide your time in a healthy organization like Oregon, when you play, you can absolutely crush it. You can rip it. You're not going to have to learn a ton on the job. I think that's going to be Tyler Shuck. To me, he's an all-conference caliber player, and I can't wait to see him take the field. Which is interesting because I kind of think that C. Dave Riddell is going to carry Oregon a little bit more. And so how much passing is going to happen with him being kind of like the next Christian McCaffrey. Again, you could debate who the best Oregon player is, and it could take a while. But did this weekend, you brought up LSU and Missouri. I can't believe we hadn't talked about that yet. 
did this weekend and then just breaking news a couple hours ago, not even a couple hours, that the Florida Gators have to put a pause on their season. You know, does that open all of this up for an unbeaten Pac-12 team to say, hey, put me in the college football playoffs? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Pac-12 conference takes their fair of criticism. I'm in the middle of it. I see it. I read it. I feel it. Um, but I still think that when this season nets out, Commissioner Scout's going to get a lot of credit, as well as his colleagues of, you know, the, which include the, the ADs and the presence of every school, of taking the time. Uh, let's make sure everybody can get tested. Let's make sure the protocols are in place. Let's make sure the health and safety of student-athletes is first. And then we'll see where the season shakes out. I think the minute that the schedule was announced and the Pac-12 said they were going to play seven games, in came the criticism, in came the articles, in came the tweets, never going to make the playoff. Well, we don't know who's going to play how many games. We don't know what teams are even going to be able to outfit enough eligible players. Vanderbilt was a great example, right? Having to postpone this weekend's upcoming game due to that. So I think the number one word in 2020 is fluid. I think we have to remain that way. And I believed it when the schedule came out, and I believe it now. An undefeated Pac-12 team, I think because of the Big 12 falters, will get into the playoff. And I don't think they necessarily needed anyone to falter dramatically. They needed some help because of the number of games. But we'll see uh, how many games people play. And, uh, man, the, the Florida thing, you can't help but you – know, you hope everybody's safe, but you, you chuckle a little bit based on their head coach over the weekend saying, hey, we wanted a packed house. I mean, you just have to just – the irony there – uh, even he, I'm sure he, he tackled that. I laughed so hard at that. Just not for the kids, but just the domino effect of events with that one. But final question, you mentioned fluidity. You mentioned the schedule. All of that is so huge for the Pac-12 moving forward, hoping to make a bid to the playoffs and really get into their momentum and hopefully have a full seven weeks of games, maybe even more for other teams. Top three games you're looking forward to watching this season for the Pac-12. No pressure because, you know, Washington over here, but no, I'm kidding. No, it's easy. I mean, I've got my top ten, but I'll go with uh, top three to oh, get out of here. if you want to name uh, ten, That's uh, okay. We'll go three. Uh, so I pick up my little man here. Uh, number one, it's the opener, Arizona State SC, 9 a.m. at the Cali. No fans, just family, but it's going to be electric with the quarterbacks, the coaches, and, of course, what's at stake. These two teams can win the – South, these two teams can win the conference. These two teams, I think, could find their way into the playoff. I don't want to be shocked. They have one of the rising stars, if not the rising star in the conference, in Jane Daniels. Can't wait to see him play against what I think is the best defense in the Pac-12 South. He was uh, a second, I love that pick. Yeah, okay, cool. We're one for one. A second game, uh, I'll go uh, Oregon and uh, UW. Just because what a fun game to finish the season, right? I don't want to play UW late. I don't want to play them late. I just don't. They're going to be a totally different team. So I look forward to that game. Uh, I think it'll be a lot will be at stake. And then this one might surprise you a little bit, but I, you know, because there's a lot of great games I think that are going to be fun. But I, I go to Utah and SC. Um, it's the middle of the season, right? It's going to be a preferable title game for the Pac-12 South. Losers probably eliminated. And I just think that's what's every week. Every week it's a single elimination, March Madness type tournament. And I think that's going to highlight it because you look at a team that if you ask somebody on the street who's won the last two Pac-12 South titles, I don't know how many would say Utah. And everybody thinks it's a rebuild year, but their schedule might be best position for them to take a run at it. I think they start off 2-0, and then if they can get the Trojans, look out. And, and that'll be a huge moment for that program. 
Utah has definitely had their share of heartbreaks from being in the championship game multiple years and hanging their heads low every time. So maybe this is a redemption year and kind of the feel that they need to move on for the season. I love those top three, and I'm super excited to kick it off here in a few short weeks. Hopefully, thankfully, we do get it. But thank you so much for coming on. And then where can people follow you, find you? I'm sure they already know because who doesn't? You know, watch the Pac-12 Network if you're a Pac-12 fan. Thank you. Yeah, just at Yogi Roth on all social platforms. Come hang out and let's talk ball. Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much. Until next time, and check out si.com slash college slash Washington. He's Yogi Roth. I'm Kayla Olin. Go dogs.